Hi, and welcome to Figure of Speech, a new program from WRBH, where every week you can meet local poets and fiction writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work. This episode, we welcome on poet and educator Cassie Prine. Hello, I'm Cassie Prine. I'm a poet here in New Orleans. I'm originally from Portland, Maine. I've been living in New Orleans for seven years. This past year, I released my first collection of poetry. It's called Lena. And it's a book that requires or benefits from a bit of context. First of all, it's a book I never hoped to write or never expected to write. I never expected to write it because I don't consider myself a very personal poet in many ways, or I should say what I've been interested in in the past in my poetry and in my other writing has been imagining characters from the past or engagement with history or concepts. And I've always been interested in very visceral and accessible language, but not necessarily with my own autobiography. And yet, as any artist will tell you, you don't always have control over what comes out. And so I ended up feeling the need to tell a story, um, an autobiographical one. So this book is a series of poems that are all connected, and um, they come out of a single relationship um, that I had with someone. On the very first day of college, I met the woman who would become my first love. What resulted of this union was the kind of stereotypical intense, unsustainable, all-consuming kind of young love affair. And it was, ours was further pressurized by the fact that we were in the closet. Uh, She came from a family that was not at all accepting of her sexuality, and she was terrified and did not know, in fact, that who she really was until we met. And a few years after we broke up and the relationship ended. She was diagnosed with cancer and she died three years ago. And I never expected to write into this relationship, as I mentioned, but the poems just came and it started to be a story that just, it needed to be told. It didn't require my permission to to need to come out. And so I will read just a few from this collection called Lena. The first poem is called Lena's Summer House in Rockport. On a thin protrusion of Massachusetts rock, surrounded on three sides by sea, down a U-shaped street abutting the beach, in a shingled house among shingled houses, locked up for winter, chilly and silent except for the hum of empty refrigerators, In a room at the end of the hall, Lena's room, we slept. By morning, we had set ourselves adrift on a white raft on a gray sea, the cold of which was a fact that couldn't touch us. Our little raft kept twirling and reversing fore and aft, above us a swaying forest of masts, smooth as polished bone. 
From somewhere along Route 127, Lena's mother approached. A neighbor had spotted our car. Meanwhile, off the port bow, a buoy conged. And Lena, all skin among scattered pillows, a valiant amateur sailor, began the slow descent along my belly into the sheet's folds. Where, nervous at first, she would soon taste the salt of the sea lapping against the damp, dark hull of the boat. So these poems have to do, uh, they engage with several themes directly, and one of those themes is obviously grief, also sex and sexuality, and the kind of intertwining of the visceral body, bodily experience of just being in the world and being alive and knowing another person and the kind of bodiless experience of grief when that person is just no longer physically anywhere. But they, of course, exist in lots of different ways for you and your memory in the words that they've said and the traces they've left behind. The next poem I'm going to read is called The Mother. I met Lena's mother once in Lena's kitchen in Concord, just shy of five feet, leaning forward with her elbows on the counter. Lena's mother listened as her sons bantered with the guests and her husband doled out bottles of water, interjecting just once with what I can't remember in a voice that silenced the room. She hardly seemed to notice me. It was only later, once she'd found the letter in Lena's jeans, that I became the enemy. I've seen her from a distance twice, both times after an illicit rendezvous, another near miss. I've studied family photos in their frames, holding them close, finding her face. In dreams, I am running from her, hiding in strange houses, and yet... Even when I'm standing close enough to touch her, her eyes will not land on me, and so I have no reason to hide. In the picture they posted of Lena, the night before her first surgery, she is lying in a hospital bed in a white gown next to her mother, facing her, kissing her shoulder, and Lena's mother, a woman with a mermaid's name, lies flat on her back with her hand in Lena's, gazing at me with rage. The next one I'm going to read is called Obad. And Obad is a poetic form which uh, could be defined as a mourning love song, not mourning M-O-U-R-N, but M-O-R-N-I-N-G, mourning. A mourning love song or a song or poem that heralds the separation of lovers at daybreak. So this one's called Obad. The first time we slept together, I mean slept, we swayed all night like moored skiffs, shushing water up each other's smooth fiberglass sides. She'd turn when I'd turn, as if the same wave tipped us toward the same shore. Far below, a baby whale spilled free of its mother in a swirl of red, but the two remained tethered, suspended, even once the cord snapped. Soon enough, light seeped, 
beneath the rim of the overturned sky. Soon enough, the riffling sea sharpened to a field of blades. The next poem I'm going to read has connections to New Orleans, as you'll hear. This, these poems are also tend to be concerned with distances of various kinds. So emotional distance, physical distance, the kind of distance implicit in death. Um, this poem is concerned with distance in a more physical way. Flinner on Royal Street, New Orleans. Oh, I should say that a flaneur is a term that originates in French literature, specifically in the 19th century. It means a wanderer. It's a, it's a male term uh, for someone who's wandering the city streets and observing, kind of watching or taking part in, in a passive way with the activities of modernity and the city life. Um, so this is called Flaneur on Royal Street, New Orleans. A hot Sunday in August. Men sprinkle the ditches with buckets full of sawdust, shoving their brooms grittily through the narrow, balconied streets. The potted vines hang swaying and sleep. The shutters, door length, stay shut. I want to leave to go visit her, but I don't. Occasionally, when I call, she picks up. It's always been about distance with the two of us. Why am I now the one to resist? This street cuts a narrow trench of houses, speckled with sparrows, bunching, dispersing. I could get on a bus or a plane or a train, show up unannounced and ask to come in. What would I say? I'm sorry, or it was you who taught me how to stay away. By the Hudson, years ago, I collected pamphlets on the town's history, the Tivoli riots, squatting among the one-room library stacks, or made sketches of sumac and sycamore, beautyberry, boxbush, I can't remember, every now and then looking around for her and pretending I wasn't. It was over by then. We were barely friends, but in those days she was the Hudson. Back then, if I saw her walking past my porch on Saturday mornings in her green jacket, I'd call out, good morning, willing her to stop in. Today, I gaze up at the power lines, pondering communication again. This city's only business is the constant reminding of the murky Mississippi's winding and the river's revenge and the river's conspiring. Enough about rivers. Remember the night she called? Just before they took her liver out, when I cried, let me come, but it wasn't the time, and they hooked her by the ribs like a stripped fish, and excised the swollen, black-blotted flesh. Meanwhile, I rallied friends, east to west, and begged them to pray, or whatever else, and instead obsessed over sending daffodils the transplant ward wouldn't accept. Now the sky darkens to a mottled mess. From across the river, rain swarms in sheets. 
I run to the car before it keels over. She doesn't want me there, I tell myself, slapping past rocketing gutter spouts. And it's true, she probably doesn't. But if I were to touch her again, could we collapse the map? Would she taste the warm rain on my skin? I thought I would take this opportunity to read two poems by other authors that also engage with grief, I think, in interesting ways, in ways that resonated with me. The first one is called The Yoke. It's from Frank Bedart's uh, book, Desire. Frank Bedart just won the National Book Award for um, a book of poetry of his. So this is called The Yoke. Don't worry, I know you're dead, but tonight, turn your face again toward me. When I hear your voice, there is now no direction in which to turn. I sleep and wake and sleep and wake and sleep and wake and... But tonight, turn your face again toward me. See, upon my shoulders is the yoke that is not a yoke. Don't worry, I know you're dead, but tonight, turn your face again. That poem makes me think about the ways in which you continue actively missing that person who's gone, that that doesn't go away, and that often I find myself begging for dreams of that person instead, like that's the best I can do, the best I could hope for. And so that poem makes me think about that sort of desperate plea for contact. The next one is a a bit lighter in a way. It uh, talks about uh, the speaker who the speaker is dealing with the grief over the loss of her mother, and it's com- comical at times the way that she's uh, relating to this grief. Um, this is a poem by. Gabrielle Calvacaresi. She just released a new book of poems called Rocket Fantastic, and it is indeed fantastic. So this is called The Sun Got All Over Everything. The sun got all over everything, over the boys and girls by the pool, over the bougainvillea, which got so hot, my palms stayed warm for minutes after. It made a mess of a day that was supposed to be the worst and lured me outside so I forgot her death entirely. And also the polar bears scrambling on the ice chips and also that there was no water in the golden state. The pool was full and the sun poured across the women's bodies so you had to shade your eyes. Or I did. I had to put up my hand to see what they were saying. I know it's no excuse. And I had made a plan to cry all day, and into the evening I marked in my book, which seems like something I'd make up in a poem, except this time I actually did it. I wrote, Grieve. Because we're all so busy, aren't we? And so broke. I needed to make an appointment with my anguish so I could take my mind off buying groceries that I really couldn't afford. Anyway... I didn't mean to go outside, except there the sky was, just ridiculously blue, taunting me with pigment that I felt the need to name. 
and from somewhere close by a voice I couldn't see because the sun was like a yoke cracked over it said, what are you drinking? And I said, I'm grieving. I'm very busy remembering. I made an appointment because last year I forgot and then felt awful. The sun opened its mouth and made a gong of the canyons. It poured across the girls and slicked across their Dior lenses. I put my tongue on it, exactly when I should have been tearing at my clothes and lighting candles. I got on top and let it find the tightness in my back and open where my wings would be. Somewhere my mother was dying and someone was skinning a giraffe. And I let it go. I just let it go. Uh, I love that poem because it's heartbreaking and self-deprecating. Um, the ways in which we think we ought to remember someone or the ways in which we think we're supposed to remember or forget. And also that life is always offering itself to you even when you're grieving a death, the way that life and death are always right next to each other. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Again, my name is Cassie Prine. I'm a local poet here in New Orleans, and I read from my book, Lena, which came out um, from Texas Tech University Press last April in 2017. Thank you. That was poet and educator Cassie Prine. You've been listening to Figure of Speech, a new community poetry and writing program from WRBH. Tune in Saturdays at 3 p.m. and every Monday at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing. Thanks for listening.